skip through two chapters because you'll see why when we get there. These are, these are kind of chapters you really want to read really quick and move on. So that's where we find ourselves tonight. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 33. We're going to do chapter 33 and 34. Chapter 33 is all about Jacob finally faces Esau. And it's been 20 years. And, and he had run away, as you remember, ran away from home. And his mom sent him up to uh, Haran where his, her family was uh, and he's been there. He was only going to go a few days, but he's been up there for 20 years. And uh, all he can remember, I think, every day, every day for 20 years is his brother's death threats. So instead of trusting God he, and God's promises, uh, this man that God is shaping slowly but surely, and we certainly don't see much of it in the next two chapters, but God is shaping him to be the man God wants him to be. And instead of trusting in God, he's trusting in himself still. He's still Jacob. He, although his name got changed, remember last week, he's still a con man. He's still a surplanter. He's still a schemer, as we see uh, in this section. But God is working on him, and he's trying to teach him. And, and I, I can't help but think as I read through this how long God had to work in my heart and life, and, and still is, still is, right? And he's still working in your life, and he's not going to give up. And he's wrestling with you until you finally submit to him. That's really what we saw uh, last week in chapter 33. Remember, it was Jacob and God having a, this knockout, drag out, headlocking, you know, sand, dust going everywhere fight. They fought all night, the scripture says. In fact, in verse 27 of chapter 32, the uh, angel of the Lord, or I believe a Christophany, it was Jesus that was wrestling with him all night, probably, you know, just hanging out, just using one little pinky, you know, to wrestle him with, but oh, oh, please, please don't, please don't, you know, I can just see the Lord wrestling with him. Uh, the angel of the Lord says to him, what's your name? At the end of the wrestling match, the angel of the Lord says in verse 28, and, uh, or, and Jacob says, says his name, Jacob. He had to admit who he was. He's a con man. He's a schemer. He's a surplanter. What's your name? Con man. Do you have to really remind me of that? Why do you have to remind me of that? And the reason was is because God wrestled with him all night. And he wants him to prove to him that you're not to be wrestling with men. You're to be wrestling with me and I will provide for you. Stop this stuff going on with people. Stop conniving and scheming. Trust in me alone. That's what God is teaching him. So God changed his name last week from con man to God rules. Israel. Israel means God rules. That was a reminder to him that he's to submit daily to God, which is something that Jacob isn't doing, and, and we'll see that he's not really doing uh, in this chapter as well. But tonight in chapter 33... He's finally going to get, he's across the river, he's wrestled all night, now he's going to face, he's going to face his brother. He doesn't know what his brother's going to do. He's afraid of Esau. That's where we find ourselves tonight. So with your Bibles open there, let's pray and then we'll jump right in. Father, we thank you for this, uh, your word. And tonight, Lord, as we uh, look at these challenging chapters, only because they're, they're so dark, uh, Lord, there's, there's so much of a man here and, and very godless man, very religious, but, but really not trusting, not walking by faith. And yet, Lord, you used him to, uh, to form a nation. And so help us to learn from this. And Lord, as we, as we go through these verses, I pray that we would understand. And Lord, be enlightened, not be bummed out or depressed, but be, 
Lord, excited to hear what you want to teach us from these real life stories with real people. So I pray that you would teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. We begin here in chapter 33, my first point, Jacob's reunion with Esau, verse 1. Now Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and there Esau was coming, and with him were 400 men. So he divided his children among Leah and Rachel and the two maidservants, and he put the maidservants and their children out in the front, Leah and her children behind, and Rachel and Joseph last. Uh, at least Leah in the story, you know, we've been looking at Leah here lately, and, and poor Leah, she gets the worst of it all, but at least Leah got uh, protection here more than the maidservants, Bella and Zilpah here. Uh, that's the one good thing. But Jacob here has learned something. He's going to lead his family. He's, remember, he sent all the flocks in, in waves to try to appease his brother. That was chapter 32. And now he sees his, his brothers coming. Must have had really good eyesight. Devises his family up one more time. But he goes out in front. That's the important thing. Verse 3. He crossed over before them and he bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. So as he's approaching his brother, he's, he's bowing down. He's already sent sheep and goats and camels and donkeys. But now he's bowing down before his brother. That just shows submission. That's what he's doing there. And to Jacob's surprise... Esau is anxious. He comes running to him. He's not taking revenge. He he wants to see him. Look at verse 4. But Esau ran to meet him. And Esau embraced him. I can just see, you know, Jacob's like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? He's ready, you know. And and Esau jumps on him and starts kissing his neck. And, oh, so good to see you, bro. I mean, he was not expecting that at all. He he kissed him and they wept, verse 4. Again, Jacob had nothing to fear. Why? Because God was in control, but he wasn't trusting God. That's why he was fearing. And the greatest lesson so far we're learning is that he, God was always there and God was always working, but Jacob wasn't trusting God. Does that sound like somebody you know? I mean, sometimes we just don't trust the Lord. With those difficult things in our life, we've got to come to a place where we give just God's, he's, it's his provision in my life. It's his protection. It's his, his provision for my, my needs, financial needs now and my future needs. God can take care of all those things. But oftentimes we, we fear. We, we try to, to manipulate situation. And that's what we're to learn here. Don't do that. Don't be a Jacob. Don't be like this guy. I, I, as, the more I read about him, the less I'd want to name one of my kids after him. But... Sorry if your name's Jacob out there. But anyway, uh, Jacob, again, he's surprised when his brother comes running up. Verse 5, and he, this is Esau, he lifted his eyes and he saw all the children and the women. And he says to Jacob, he's kissing him, right? He's hugging his brother. He's, oh, oh, look at this. Who are all these kids and these women here with you? So Jacob said, the children, notice what he says, whom God has graciously given to me, your servant. Then the maidservants came near, and they and their children, and each one they bowed down before Uncle Esau. And maybe, maybe Jacob gave them instructions. You know, when you see this guy, you, you better treat him right. Because the last time I saw him, he was going to kill me. So we, we have to be really, really careful with him. We're not sure what he's going to do. So, so that each one of the kids come up, Uncle Esau, Uncle Esau, and the women. Oh, brother-in-law, you know, and, and they're all bowing down. They're showing him respect there. But again, God has prepared Esau's heart. 
And, and God has also promised Jacob that he would protect him. Jacob had nothing to fear, but he, but he was really worried about that. Jacob acknowledges, at least here in this story, that, that his kids are from God. And that's, that's one good sign of, of growth so far. And then Esau's change of heart toward his brother. Look at verse 8. Then Esau said, what do you mean by all this company which I meant? I, I heard you were coming, and as I was coming down the road, a bunch of donkeys and the servant said, these are yours, and a bunch of sheep, and the servant said, they are yours. And what did you mean by all of this stuff, the company? And, and he said, they are to find favor in the sight of my Lord. And small L, not, not God, but, but, but he's showing respect to his brother. But Esau, verse 9, said, I don't need that, brother. Just keep it all for yourself. You don't have to bring that to me. I didn't expect that. I just wanted you. I wanted to see you. You're my, you're my kin. The irony. Just think of the irony of the situation. All those years, all 20 years, Jacob is worried that his brother is going to kill him. And yet Esau really wanted to see his brother. I remember <clears throat> that it was Rebecca. His mom, remember his, his mom, he, he didn't have the greatest mom that encouraged him to lie to his father, dress up, she made him clothes, remember, dress up like your brother and deceive a blind father or, or aged dad, Isaac. And Rebecca was the one that told Jacob when he, he said, you got to get out of here. You got to get out of here. Esau's going to kill you. Just like he kills animals all the time. He's going to kill you. You got to get out of here. And this is what she said. Let me show you the verse really quick just to remind you. Genesis 27. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran and stay with him. Notice, a few days until your brother's fury turns away. So a few days has turned into 20 years for Jacob. And he's been afraid of his brother ever since. That's why there's all the giftings in verse 32 and all the, the this separating the family to maybe preserve some of it because they wouldn't all get killed if his brother was mad at him. So he's done all these things. But, but Esau, I believe God has led Esau to forgive him. And this, it's a beautiful truth here that God is working sovereignly in the story. While Jacob feared his brother... Esau couldn't wait to get him back. That's the reality of the story. Runs up, greets him, kisses him. You know, says, I'm so glad that you're here. And oh, look at your family. This is awesome. It's a great reunion in Esau's eyes. I have enough brother, he says. Uh, Why did you send me all this? I have enough brother. Just, Just keep it for yourself. I mean, Esau is the one that's gracious in this story, don't you think? I mean, when you when you see and you read this whole episode. You know, uh, Jacob have I chosen, Esau I've hated, the Lord said earlier. But now it's Esau. Esau is the guy that's the good guy. He's forgiving. He's kind. Jacob's in fear. Very interesting, the story. But Jacob, notice his name. Well, he he got changed at the end of verse 32 to, to God rules. But he's still being the schemer. He's still being the con man here. And and he's referred to by Moses who wrote this text for us as Jacob here. Jacob. So Jacob, notice his reply. He said, verse 10, no, please, I, I, if I found favor in your sight, then you take my presence. Take all the things that I gave you inasmuch as I've seen your face and as though I have seen the face of God, uh, you, you were p- pleasing to, with me. I, I'm surprised at, at the way you've received me. Verse 11, please take my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. 
So he urged him, and he took it. So interesting, again, he's acknowledging my kids are from God, and God has prospered me. But he's still Jacob. He's still struggling here. While, while Jacob is trying to earn favor by giving gifts and earn forgiveness, Esau just gives it to him. Uh, this is one of the redeeming things in this portion of scripture here. Jacob is, is bowing and groveling and, and giving gifts to try to earn forgiveness. Esau just gives it out of love. Hugs him, kisses him, accepts him. Very interesting. Here's an interesting question. Again, I'm, I'm really digging hard to find some things that are redeeming about this, these two chapters. And what I find here is, is in the question, which is more difficult, to forgive or be forgiven? Which is harder to do, to forgive someone that you really, really struggle with or to be forgiven? When you forgive somebody, you're doing at least two things. You're choosing to overlook all the pain they caused you in the past. And number two, you're willing to give them a second chance. So as, as, you, know, as you forgive someone else, that's what you're doing. You, you're choosing to go beyond the, the hurt and pain and you're, you're willing to give them a second opportunity. Sounds like something we do in marriage, huh? Marriage couples. But when you decide to be forgiven, you're doing a little bit more because you're admitting your guilt too. It's just like when you come to the Lord, you, you admit your guilt, that you were at fault too, that, that there's always two sides to the argument, to the, to the difficulty. And then secondly, you accept forgiveness. If you're going to be forgiven, you've got to accept that forgiveness. And then thirdly, you choose to go in a separate direction. You go away from that thing that damaged your relationship, that, that problem that can't be solved, but it was an argument. And you just decide to go in a, a different direction. Whether you're, you're being forgiven or, or you're forgiving, the goal is always the same. It's healing, it's reconciliation, it's, it's coming back together, restoration. And this story shows that. True forgiveness is given, not earned. True forgiveness is given not earned. Jacob, wave after wave of gifts, trying to appease his brother, splits his family up, you know, and because he still thinks his brother is going to hurt him. So he's not really in this vein in the, or this lane, and, and Esau, he is. Esau is willing to forgive. Esau wants to forgive. Very interesting story. Then in verse 12, Jacob stays true to his old name, con man here, and he deceives Esau again, my next point. He's going to deceive him again. Look at verse 12. Then Esau said, let us take our journey. Let us go, and I'll go before you. Let's, let's go together. Let's, let's hang out together. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are weak and the flocks and herds which are nursing are with me. We're going to be way slower. We, you know, we, we got to drive all these kids and stuff. Why don't you just go ahead? Go, just, just go on ahead one day. Or the flock's going to die if I push them too hard. Verse 14. Please let my Lord go on ahead before his servant. I will lead on slowly at a pace which the livestock that go before me and the children are able to endure until I come to my Lord in Seir. So I'll meet you there in Seir. And Esau said, now let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. Let me leave you some help. But he said, well, I don't need any help. Jacob says, let me find favor in, in the sight of my Lord. I can handle this. So Esau, he returned that day on his way home to Seir. And Jacob 
He went a different direction. He went to Succoth. He built himself a house and he made booths for his livestock there. The name of the place was called Succoth. Jacob, con man. Jacob, not trusting God. Why did he do that? Maybe he didn't trust his brother. He's still in fear, I believe. When I read this story, I believe he's still in fear. And he's afraid to be around his brother because he thinks his brother's going to turn on him. Why? Because Jacob was such a con man and he ripped his brother off so horribly. Stole his money, his birthright. So he is still not forgiven his brother. I believe Esau forgave him. So Jacob, he deceives Esau again. After all that stuff, the forgiveness, the gifts, and all those things, hugs and tears. Jacob, he still doesn't believe that everything's okay. So this is Jacob's final lie to his, to his brother, and he goes on his own way. It's hard for Jacob, schemer, con man, Jacob, to be Israel. God rules. Very difficult for him. God's going to get him there, but he's showing a little bit I think he's still kind of in transition. We could call him Jekiel. You know, it's, he's not there yet. He's kind of on his way. Verse 18, my next point, Jacob's partial obedience. Here's his problem. Then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. And when he came from Padanaram, or that's Haran up north, he pitched his tent before the city. So he went really close to the city. And he bought a parcel of land where he had pitched his tent from the children of this man, Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected an altar there and called it El Elo Israel, or God, the God of Israel. So that's his name, right? His name was changed from Jacob to Israel. So now he's, he's claiming this area. He bought this area and he calls it God, the God, my God, my God. This is my home, my God, the God of Israel. That's his name. So the reason I say that Jacob is only partially obedient here is, is because although he's now back in Canaan, he's back in the promised land, he's not where God told him to go. He's not been obedient to go back to Bethel. He's been told twice. In chapter 27, God said go to Bethel. Chapter 30, God told him to go to Bethel. That's where he was supposed to go, but he's not doing that. The land of his family was Bethel. So he goes to this other place, Shechem, which is the name of this next dastardly person here. But Shechem is the city he's in, and uh, he, he, he camps outside of the city. So he's close to the city. Kind of sounds like Lot who built his, you know, he moved closer and closer and closer to the city. God didn't want him to go there, but he went there anyway. And, and that's kind of what we're seeing here uh, with Jacob. He, he built an altar, and that's a good thing, and worshiped God. But notice he didn't do it until everything else was settled. He didn't do it until he got, he should have, when he first got there, built an altar and honored the Lord, but he didn't. He got there, he looked around, he bought property, he built stalls, he did all these other things instead of just honoring the Lord right away. He's just being partially obedient, just a little bit religious, just a teeny bit honoring. I'll obey the Lord a little bit. That's, that's what we see in this man. Now, Shechem, if you look at a map, I was going to get one, didn't, but, but it's, it's about 35 miles north of Israel. So it's in the hills there, across the Jordan River. But if you look just across the Jordan Valley, you get right to Moab and you get to the area of Sodom and Gomorrah. That area is right down there in the, in the valley. 
And uh, it's, it's just a little south of Succoth. Succoth is another city that is still there today. Uh, and Jacob is going to learn that God wants obedience first. He doesn't want second-rate obedience. He doesn't want just a, a quick little reference to him. He wants it all. He wants your whole life. He wants my whole life. He wants Jacob's whole life. But Jacob is only, you know, just partially spiritual. Just enough to get by. His obedience um, is, is just not what it should be. <coughs> Excuse me. And so he's going to learn that God wants everything. So he does this little ritual. It's not a real thing. It's just kind of added on the end of the. He's going through the motions here. One commentator said this. He said, it's extremely difficult to worship God in the place where we are not supposed to be. I think that's really true. He's just gone through the motions. He's not been obedient to the Lord. How can you worship the Lord if you're not where you're supposed to be? Here's the application in this section. Jacob was doing what many of us do, which is just making a partial attempt to serve God. We love God. We've accepted Christ. We're, we've come to a church. And, and then after a series of months and years, we kind of get bored with the Lord. And it's the same old stuff. And we stay at home. We stop fellowship. We stop reading the Bible. We stop walking with the Lord. Hey, it happens all the time. I see it. Probably didn't happen to me because I got to be here. It's my job. I mean, I, my heart wanders just like yours. That's all I'm saying. And, and his partial obedience, he's not obeying the Lord completely by naming the altar God, the God of Israel, my God. By naming it that, he's acknowledging God. But by not going to Bethel, he's not, a, he's not totally obedient to God. Do you see that? And I think it's really important. Think about things in your life where you're partially obedient. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Because we're going to get into some really dark stuff here in a cave in just a moment. So let the Holy Spirit speak to you in these things. Israel, he's a new man. He's got a new name. But he's acting like the old con man still. He's still in fear. And he's still conniving. He's doing his own thing in the flesh. He's not totally obedient. He's partially obedient. Paul challenged the Galatian Christians with this. Notice this verse here on the screen. Galatians 3. He says, are you so foolish having begun in the spirit... Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Isn't that a great verse? Are you trying to, to just do it all in the flesh? You, you began in the spirit. The, the, the being born again is a work of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. And we need to remain there. Doesn't, that doesn't mean you remain in this, this dark place where you just you know, hear eerie sounds and, and say weird things. And No. It's being a spiritual person has everything to, to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22, a new kind of love, loving in a, a deeper, more uh, godly way. Kindness and self-control in a way that you've never had before. Being spiritual. But what happens is we start out spiritual and then we start just adding the flesh. I can just do it my way. I can go when I want. I can serve how it makes me feel good about who I am instead of really giving it all to the Lord. That's really what God wants. He wants the whole heart, not just a, a partial commitment. So Jacob has moved his family. They live near this city of Shechem. And we're going to come to chapter 34. We've got plenty of time here. And here's where his partial obedience leads. Again, here's the application. 
If you're going to be partially obedient, you can expect all kinds of trouble and sin. And that's what we're going to see here in chapter 34. And this chapter is one of the darker passages of of this book. And, uh, you know, we have children's ministry for a purpose. Because sometimes we get to an adult subject like we're going to look at tonight. And, And the children's ministry provides a wonderful service teaching at the level of a child, how he can understand God and the gospel, right? It's because if they were in here tonight, I'd blow them away. In fact, they shouldn't be in here hearing some of these things. As I read the Bible to my kids, sometimes I would just read past some things. I wouldn't explain some things. Because they're going to grow up and they'll get it later, you know. It's not like I'm obscuring the scriptures. But you're adults and so you're going to get the whole thing here. I've entitled this section, here's my title, Jacob's Family's Scandals. That's what this chapter's about. Sounds, sounds dark, doesn't it? It is, it is. We start with the violation of Diana, or, or Dinah, pardon me, Dinah. Now Dinah, verse 1, chapter 34. The daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. They're living in a city, they're, or near a city. And so she goes to hang out with the girls. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, The Hivite, prince of the country, saw her. He took her and lay with her and violated her. His soul was strongly attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the young woman and spoke kindly to the young woman. So Shechem spoke to his father, Hamor, saying, Get me this young woman as a wife. Work this out, Dad. Now, this is how you know the Bible's a book from God and not men. And this is what I mean by that. If Jacob was writing this story, do you think he'd include these bad, sordid details? But this is God's book, and God doesn't pull any punches, and God shows us that these are real people. These are the heroes of Israel, by the way. We're reading about the leader of the faith, Jacob. He's no different than you or I. And this sin, the Bible always condemns sin, and this is a horrendous sin here. It's a very, it's an embarrassment to every child of, of Israel, I mean, when, this whole story. But remember, Jacob brought his family to this place. God didn't want him to go there. So number one, it's out of his disobedience that he gets to this place and has this situation in his family. Jacob chose the city. God had called him to Bethel. And here he is in the city. And so because of Jacob's choice, because of the father's poor leadership, dads, are you listening? It's so important, fathers, to be a good leader. It's so important to, to live by the things that you say. In other words, your kids know the hypocrite faster than any neighbor that you have. They know if you're a hypocrite or not. They know if you're living with the Lord or, or you're obedient to the Lord. I mean, my kids could smell it a mile. You could see it on them. And that's why it's important when you sin, Dad, you go right to your wife or your kids and you, you apologize to them. You don't hide it. You don't run from it. You go right to them and say, Daddy was wrong. I had to do that several times. It's, it's called eating humble pie, but it's the most important you can do. Most important thing you can do as a husband and as a father. If you're a husband and have no kids, this is the most important thing you can do. Is you apologize to your wife when you blow it, when you sin. And if you're a father, you, you 
Better do it, because if you don't, your kids are not going to lose. You lose all credibility in their eyes. So when you ask them when they're 12, 14, 18 years old to do something, they're, they're going to do this. Did you get it? I just wanted you to get it. Their eye roll is going to be so big, they're going to blow you right up. They don't listen to you. They could care less. You're not their authority, and they're going to find another authority. So you better be a good leader. He was a crummy leader, Jacob, and that's why all this stuff's going on in his family. Dinah walks out unsupervised. Where, where was her dad? She goes out to hang out with the, the girls in the, the city, where, you know, I mean, you can't blame her for wanting to get to be with the girls, to hang out with the ladies for the evening because she was around her brothers. She only had brothers, right? She has 11 brothers at this time. And so you can't blame her for wanting to do that. And the Bible doesn't say, but it could be Shechem was there when the deal was made to buy the property. And that's kind of what I'm thinking, that, that Shechem was the son of Hamor, and Jacob bought the property, so it was like here his family brought the family, and they're making this deal, and, he, and Shechem sees Dinah. Maybe he followed her around. Maybe he ambushed her. We're not really sure, but the, again, this horrible, horrible uh, sin against this woman. Now, after the violation, after the rape is what it really is, we have in verse 6, Hamar's deal to appease. Look, listen to what he does. And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. Now his sons were with livestock in the field. So Jacob held his peace until they came. Then Hamor, again, look up his name. I'm not even going to mention it because it's nasty, but you look, you look up his name. That's your, your homework tonight. You won't like it. But uh, the father of Shechem, he went out to Jacob to speak to him. And the sons of Jacob came in from the field when they heard it, these sons, the, the, the family, the brothers of Dinah, they were grieved and very angry because he had done this disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing which ought not be done. So Jacob's, what I see when I read this is just, where's Jacob's anger? The boys are mad. Their sister was violent. But where is Jacob's outrage? In this story, you, you just don't really see. He's just kind of matter of fact about this whole thing. But it's Simon and Levi, as we'll, we'll go on to discover. They are grieved and angry. Grieved, displeased, sorrowful, or vexed. Very angry in the, the uh, Hebrew, kara. Hot, kindled to burn with anger. They're mad. So it's these brothers, not the father, who want to protect Dinah's honor. Verse 8, but Hamar spoke with them, saying, the soul of my son Shechem longs, desires, lusts, not love, for your daughter. Please give her to him as a wife and make marriages with us. Remember, they're Canaanites. That's been forbidden. Make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters to yourselves. So you shall dwell with us here in the land. The land will be before you. Dwell and trade in it and acquire possessions for yourselves in it. Then Shechem, verse 11, said to her father and her brothers, Guys, 
let me find favor in your eyes. I, I know I, I violated your sister and all, but let me find favor in your eyes. And whatever you say to me, I'll give to you. I'll, I'll pay you back. Well, well, name your price. Listen to that. Ask me however so much dowry and gift, and I will give according to what you say to me. But give me the young woman as a wife. I, I don't think love is involved in this at all. I, I think he sees meat and that's all he cares about here. Hamar, father, and Shechem, son, they, they offer marriage. This offer of marriage really is an insult to what they'd done or what Shechem has done to Dinah and her family because they, they figured that money could just pay for it all. I mean, that's, that's all they think about. Sound familiar? I mean, when Uncle Laban sold his daughters... You work seven years and then you can have Rachel, remember? Same thing. Jacob's sons plot for revenge, verse 13, my next point. Notice this, we've got to keep moving here. But the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor, his father, and notice, spoke deceitfully. So Jacob's sons are now the con men, the schemers. Sound familiar? Because he had defiled Dinah, their sister, and they said to them, this is the deal, this is Simeon and Levi, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a reproach to us. But on this condition, we will consent to you, and we can do this marriage deal. If you will become as we are, if every male of you is circumcised, then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to us. And we will dwell with you, and we will become one people. So listen to their deal here. It doesn't make sense. It's, it's, it was forbidden. But if you will not heed us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and be gone. You'll never see her again. So here's what's going on. Just like Jacob was partially obedient, these guys are partially religious. The circumcision was to separate themselves from all other people commanded by God. And now they're saying, you just become like us and you can be religious like us. You can join our group and you can be like us. And, and then if we're all the same, then we can dwell together. But they have a little bit more going on here. It says in verse 13, they spoke deceitfully. And yeah, they have a dastardly plan here. But they claim that they'll unite with the Canaanites and, and do future marriage. But uh, God had forbidden intermarriage. He, he forbade that. And of course, this is just their plot for revenge, as we're going to see. Jacob, I believe, should have stepped in, but you don't hear a word. Jacob says nothing. He's in the background. His sons are making this horrible deal, and he's not even saying, no, no, can't do that, can't do that, forbidden by God. So he's still not trusting God. He's still Jacob here. In Genesis 28, verse 1, let me show you this verse real quick. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. So Isaac knew that. His sons knew that. They knew that they were not supposed to intermarry. And yet, here's this deal going on right now, and Jacob is completely silent. Verse 18, and their words pleased Hamor and Shechem. Wow, to be circumcised as men pleased them because they wanted to intermarry. 
So the young, um, the young man, verse 19, did not delay to do this thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. He was more honorable than all the household of his father. And Hamar and Shechem, his son, came to the gate of their city. And they spoke with all the other men of the city, saying, These men, these men, Jacob and his sons, are at peace with us. Therefore, let them dwell in the land, and they're going to trade with us, and, and the land is large enough for them and for us, and let us take their daughters to us as wives, and let us give them our daughters. So there's the pitch right there. Well, we're just going to be one happy family. We're going to intermarry. We're going to be a great nation here. This is all going to be good. Men, don't you think this is a great idea? You know, and that's, that's the pitch there. And then verse 22, only on this condition will the men consent to dwell with us and be one people. If every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. And then, and then I mean, that was the bad news. And then, then they're going to just kind of run over the news. Will not their livestock and their property and every animal of theirs be ours? Look at all their flocks. I mean, this is just one little, this is just a little deal, the circumcision deal. It's just a little bit, bitty deal. Look at all their flocks. We're going to be rich together. What a, what a con this is. He says, only let us consent to them and they will dwell with us. Verse 24, and all who went out of the gate of the city heeded, they listened to Hamar and Shechem and his sons. Every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of the city. Now, you got to believe that Hamar is rich. He's a rich man. He's kind of running things. He's the prince, the Bible said, or Shechem was the prince. So he's like the king, but he's like the head of the chamber of commerce or whatever. Everyone's employer. He's the one that they all follow. And besides, Jacob's rich. He's wealthy. Look at all the herds and livestock and servants. That he, the town, we can capitalize on this. And I, they agree. They agree with him. Okay, well, let's, let's do this. And then look what happens. My next point, verse 25, the massacre, the massacre of Shechem. Now it came to pass on the third day when they were in pain, hmm, that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all the males. And they killed Hamar and Shechem, his son, with the edge of the sword. And they took Dinah from Shechem, Shechem's house and went out. Just to add this detail, uh, a Barnhouse, he says this, a, a doctor told him a crudely performed circumcision could be quite incapacitating after two or three days. And you can imagine, they don't have surgery rooms, they don't have sharp knives, you know. Okay, said enough. So these guys are in pain. They're not going to be able to battle. They're not going to be able to fight. That was the ploy from the very beginning. These are Jacob's sons. They're schemers. They're connivers. And now they've committed mass murder here. Verse 27, the sons of Jacob came upon the slain. So after Levi and Simeon go kill all these men, and then maybe they have some others with them, then the rest of the sons jump in on the booty here, the loot, the looting. They plunder the city because of their sister had been defiled. They took all the city, Hamar and, his, and the people of Shechem, their sheep, their oxen, their donkeys, all the things that were in the city, that was, and they stole it all, and all their wealth, verse 29. All their little ones and their wives, they took captive and they plundered even all that was in the houses. Wow. 
massacre. All because of partial obedience. All because of Jacob's con. All because Jacob was not obedient to the Lord and was in Shechem instead of Bethel. Disobedience. Believers, it's really important to be obedient to the Lord, wouldn't you say? I mean, this story really brings it all out. In verse 27, we see Jacob's mild rebuke. Notice this. I I wanted to say it that way, Jacob's mild rebuke, because the sons of Jacob, verse 27, came upon the slain and plundered the city because of their sister had been defiled after Simeon and Levi killed the men. The brothers join in, you know, and loot. And, and Jacob, he doesn't say anything. It's his sons that do it. They took their sheep, they took all their oxen, they take all their donkey, and they take their houses. And when Jacob hears what his sons have done, he's more concerned about how the Canaanites are going to deal with him. He doesn't care about these people. All he cares about is himself here, which is really sad. Again, Jacob, not Israel, not God rules at all. It's, he's still the surplanter, the con man. This is Jacob, not Israel. Verse 30, then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites. Everybody hates me because of what you did. Really? I mean, where's the repentance? Where's the, my sons, what did you do? We need to go to God. We need to build an altar. We need to sacrifice. We need to plead mercy. There's none of that. Oh, everybody's going to look at me bad. I'm going to have to battle these other people in Canaan now, the parasites and all. Since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me. I shall be destroyed in my household and I. Verse 31, but they said, should he treat our sister like a harlot? Dad, dad, all you care about is yourself. They have just raped our sister. What, what are you thinking? Jacob. Again, that's why I Jacob's mild rebuke. The way I see it here is Jacob. He brought all this trouble on himself. This is, this is all a result of his deceitful nature, his scheming, his manipulation. The kids, his sons, heard him lie to Uncle um, Esau. Oh, we're going to go to Seir with you. Seir, we're going to go down. We'll meet you in a couple of days. We'll be there. And then goes the other way. They knew their dad was a liar. So why shouldn't they lie? Again, there's a lesson here for parents, lesson for husbands, fathers, for all God's people. Ugly story, wouldn't you say? And yet, it's in the Bible. Why? I think God wants us to understand that these people, even the leaders, even the, they're just... They're just normal people, but God in a sovereign way, he's going to work it all out. Really, the conclusion of all this is, as a Christian, you don't want to be a Jacob. If that's your name, that's, that's great, a Jacob. But, but you don't want to be like this Jacob in the Bible, living in partial obedience, deceiving and scheming and manipulating your way through life. Instead, what should the Christian do? One of my wife's favorite old hymns. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. That's what we should do. As believers, we are to trust in the Lord. We're to trust in his word. We're to obey to the letter. 
When you step outside of obedience in any area of your life, you can expect these kinds of things to happen. Just like Jacob in his life. Trust leads to obedience. And it leads us to the will of God. And it leads us to the word of God. When you trust the Lord with all your heart, soul, and strength, when you do what the writer of the Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. Not your ways, not your needs, not your desires, but acknowledge him. And when you do that, he'll direct your path. You'll, you'll walk a straight path. You'll honor the Lord. And God will bless you. When you partially trust the Lord, when you're partially obedient, disaster. I mean, the story. Now, a couple real quick comments, because we're going to be studying the whole book as we've been working through the book of Genesis. We're going to discover this, um, God sovereignly used this story to keep his family pure. He didn't want them to intermarry. They would have intermarried. So through their evil, God makes something good. Boy, I struggle as I read that, but I, I truly, truly believe as God is sovereign and he's going to accomplish his will. And, and if we're going to be partially obedient or we're going to be disobedient, even in this world with, when people shake their fist at God, God can accomplish great things and he will. He, he's ruler. He's, he's Lord of lords and king of kings. So we just need to, as believers, as we read this ugly story, about this family. We need to understand this. God is sovereign and we must trust him and we must obey lest something like this happen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word and its truth. Even in this rawest of forms, Lord, it, it really, as we look at it, we, we question, we scratch our head, we wonder why. But, but as we look at our own human heart, we understand that we ourselves are sinful to the core. And without the grace of God, we would all be in there. Without the mercy of God, we'd be in the same place. So, Lord, I just pray tonight as, as we wrap up our study time and worship you one more time that that each one of us would come to that place where we would understand that partial obedience is, is disobedience. And there are consequences, serious ones, to that. And for the fathers here, the young men that have young ones at home, young married couples that want to have children, and even us old fathers, Lord, that we would obey your word and be honest before our children and our wives that we would admit our sin to you and then to those that we love, that we might live honest lives in truth and thereby be led by your, your strong hand, your guidance. So, Lord, forgive us our sin and our trespasses. Forgive us of our lies and scheming. Forgive us of our, our Jacob nature, Lord. Help us to follow you and bring glory and honor to you in, in an obedient life. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.